0: Thank you for joining us at Key Life Fellowship for our Pulpit Ministry podcast. Each sermon on this podcast is from our 11 a.m. Sunday service. We are glad that you have joined us digitally, but would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Now, let's open God's Word and ask Him to reveal His truths for our lives.
1: Turn your Bibles to John chapter... 8 As we are opening our bibles to John chapter 8 this morning we will be moving from where we were last week in a message entitled How to Continue on Your Journey to Hell We see in the last verse of our time together last week verse 30 of chapter 8 verse 30 of chapter 8 says this even as he spoke as Jesus was teaching Many put their faith in Him. And at first glance, this seems like really wonderful news. And and if they really did put true faith in Him, it would be really wonderful news. However, what we're going to see as we get into the next verses, that Jesus is going to clearly identify for us what true saving faith really looks like. We're going to be looking at that today in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 41, as we look at the evidence of true saving faith. As we look at verse 30 again, and we ask ourselves this question, were these people truly saved? Did they truly believe? Well, to accurately answer that question for you, if their faith was truly in Christ... Unequivocally, yes, they are saved. But oftentimes, we get mixed up on what true faith, authentic saving faith, and unreal, unsaving faith really looks like. In fact, many times, we accept intellectual awareness of our need for a Savior as faith. We accept historical information about Jesus and the fact that we know that to be faith. Many of us have learned the Bible well enough to know all of the stories surrounding the gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that does not bring saving faith. There will be many a theologian who knew all of the answers who will spend an eternity in hell because he did not know Christ by true saving faith. And so what I desire this morning as we look at this text is that we ask ourselves the question, do we have the evidence of true saving faith in our lives? Jesus is going to answer that for us if you are reading with me John chapter 8 verse 30, as I have already said, said, even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. Verse 31 says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. If he makes the distinction of someone who is really his disciple, that means he is speaking also to some in the crowd who really aren't his disciples. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Oh, I love the providence of God and His sovereign plan. How there was no intention to, on this Independence Weekend, preach a message about freedom, but yet in John chapter eight we see the greatest message of freedom ever preached. And He said, "Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free." And they answered, "And we are Abraham's descendants, and have never been slaves to anyone." How can you say that we shall be set free? They just didn't get it. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. He's letting them know, you say that you don't need to be set free, but you are a slave to sin. And everyone, apart from Jesus Christ, is a slave to sin. He goes on and he says in verse 35, Now a slave has no permanent place in the family but a son son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants. Jesus said, I know your lineage. Yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence and you do what you have heard from your father. He's talking about their true father, Satan, who they really belong to. Abraham is our father, they say in verse 39. Jesus says to that, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. They said, We are not illegitimate children. Rightfully so. They're not illegitimate. They belong to Satan. We're not illegitimate children, they said. They protested. The only father we have is God Himself. And we're going to see that that statement was not a true statement. But as we look at this today, I want us to examine our own lives. I want us to determine, is there really evidence of true saving faith in us? I do not want you to look at your husband. I do not want you to look at your wives. I do not want you to look at your children. Children, I do not want you to look at your parents. Teenagers, I want you to look at you and you alone. We must examine our own selves to see if there is really evidence And who greater to hear about this evidence from than Christ himself, who is going to beautifully lay out this evidence before us this very day in this text. And I encourage you, see if there's any evidence in your life. Examine yourselves. first thing that I want you to look at, what the Lord outlines for us is this, is true faith will endure forever. Verse 31, Jesus said this in response to uh, the fact that some were claiming to put their faith in him. Jesus says in verse 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. If you hold to my teaching, that word hold or hold onto is minnow in the Greek. And that word means to continue in or to abide in or to persevere in. And to never ever depart. That is the type of holding on to his teaching Jesus was talking about here. He is talking about continual persevering faith in Christ. It will not be just a fleeting profession. Oh how many times do we see the fleeting professions in the American church. Someone will hear the gospel, it will seem like a good idea. They will historically and intellectually receive the gospel into their sinful minds. And then they make some profession that is nothing but mere words. Some profession that is only just talk. Titus chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says this in verse 10, he says, "...for there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers." especially those of the circumcision group. They were having trouble with those who were saying that you had to be circumcised to be in Christ because they were holding on to their old traditions and teachings in Judaism. That was not the case. It says in verse 11, they must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. And that for the sake of dishonest gain, they're doing this. Even one of their own prophets says, Cretans are always liars, evil, brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. Here's evidence of that fact. Watch this. How do we know this? They claim to know God, but their actions, and by their actions, they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. That anything good is unfit for doing anything righteous that will bring God glory. We can do nothing apart from Him. We will find that out very clearly in John chapter 15 when we get there. But I want you to see that true Saving faith will endure forever. It is continual faith in Christ. It won't be just a fleeting profession. It won't just be mere talk. Many of you have read John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't, read it. And in that book, there is a character that goes by the name Talkative. And Talkative is a description of so many in our world. As Christian and faithful were continuing on their journey to the celestial city, they come across this man named Talkative. And I'll tell you this, Talkative knew all of the answers. He knew everything to say. He knew all the Christianese and all the lingos and all the talk. But inside there was no true faith. And and, and there was no evidence in his life that there ever had been any true faith. We would know Talkative In our time as a big mouth, a big talker, somebody who talks a big game, we might even call him a windbag, a windbag who blew a lot of hot air but had no real devotion and no real service and worship to the Lord pouring out of his life. Paul addresses in his first Corinthian letter in chapter 4 these type of arrogant talkers. And he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, in rebuking some arrogant talkers who were there at the Corinthian church, he says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but a matter of power. It's a matter of power, and that power that he spoke of is that dunamis power that we see. That was promised by the Lord in Acts upon the true believers who would be endued with power to be witnesses. They would boldly live and boldly claim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It wouldn't be, be just mere talk. Because as we have seen in the lives of all the social media heroes, anyone can talk a big game when it's just talk, can't they? Jesus is showing us here that it's more than just talk. It's continual faith in Jesus Christ. It won't be a fleeting profession. It won't be mere words. But it will be faith that perseveres. What is that? That is faith that lasts the course of time. And the only true God-born saving faith that exists. You write this down. is faith that perseveres until... The end. So many people at some point in time have made some decision from their human will that never resulted in true saving faith. Because true saving faith is not a decision of your human will, it is an act of a gracious God. And we look at this and we know that there are so many out there. Who don't persevere in their faith. They they make a hollow profession at one time. They may even walk the aisle and say a a pre-rehearsed prayer. They may even swim in a baptismal tank. And say that their life is different. But yet there is no persevering faith. Later on down the road they walk away from Christ. They walk away from the church. They walk away from true faith at all. They never were saved. They don't have true faith real saving faith will persevere till the end. The author of Hebrews covers this in Hebrews chapter 10, warning the church because the New Testament church never assumed that just because someone made a profession that they were truly saved. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 35 it says, "So do not throw away your confidence; it will be richly rewarded." Verse 36, "You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. He's referencing the return of Christ. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. These are the apostates, those who were in the Hebrew church. He's warning them. The whole letter to the Hebrews is warning them about the apostates who are turning away from faith in Christ, who once said that they knew Christ, but they never really knew Christ at all. And he's warning them to be very careful of this. He says, but my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. If he shrinks back, what does that prove? It proves that he truly wasn't his. How do I know that? Look at the next verse. But we are not of those who shrink back. And are destroyed. But of those who believe. And are saved. Those who have true saving faith. Will persevere. They will not shrink back. John says this. In his first epistle. Chapter 2. Verse 19. You can read it when you have time. He said that they went out from us. Speaking of these apostates. Who denied faith in Christ. He said they went out from us. But they did not really belong to us. They never were in our numbers. They were just pretenders who with their mouths made some claim, but who denied it by their lifestyle, and eventually they did not persevere in the faith. They walked away from the faith completely. That's for all of you people who go to those funerals, and someone, quote, made a decision to follow Christ when they were six, and they never followed Christ with their life and their whole life was a living hell, and it was totally inundated by their wickedness and their evil desires, and then people stand up in a pulpit and say that they went to heaven because they prayed a little prayer one time. That's false faith. That's not true saving faith. True saving faith at your funeral, it will be said of you. He held on to the end. He fought the good fight. He finished his course. He kept the faith, and now... There is a reward for him. And there is nothing good in him at all. The only good that ever came out of him was Christ. But it was evident that it was Christ the whole time. And so we see that it will be a continual faith. True faith will endure forever. Continual faith in Christ. And a continual following of Christ. Continual following, he says, hold to my teaching. A continual following of his word. Continual following of His Word. I can assure you of this. If you have true faith, your desire in your heart is now to obey the Word of God. And if you have true saving faith, that will be seen in your life. It will be expressed through your obedience to the truth. It's sad that we live in a day and time where we can pick and choose what we actually want to obey in the Word of God as if it's some type of smorgasbord where we can just walk up and pick what we prefer. But that is not the case. Everything in this book applies. It applies in some way, some shape, some form to our lives. I assure you of that. It is no accident that you have these 66 books in your hand. Because in these 66 books it is defined for you what you need for life and godliness. But many, they don't continue in His Word. They continually, willfully disobey His Word at every turn. James says something about this person in James chapter 1, verse 22. He says this, he says, Do not merely listen to the Word, and so deceive yourselves. And that's for all of you who might be here among us today who come in week after week and you listen to the Word and you say, because I went to church and I listened to the Word, I must have something. He said, don't deceive yourself. Do what it says. There will be a desire in someone who is truly saved to be obedient to the Word of God. There will be a continual following of Christ. His Word, but not only His Word, His worth. His worth, and we know this, His worth is where we get the word worth. Ship where we worship Him. Your life will be defined by your worship. I'm not talking about when we get together on Sunday morning and sing songs. That is one small aspect of our worship. You want to know if you're truly a worshiper? You examine your life after you walk out these doors. When you leave here and you go out into the darkness, you go back to your jobs, you go back to your friends, you go back to your social life, you go back to your entertainment. To your recreation and all the things that this world chases after. You go back to those things and you examine your life at that point. Are you continually following the worth of Christ? Are you truly a worshiper? John chapter 4, he told us what true worship is. He says, true worshipers shall worship him in spirit and in truth. He said, such are the worshipers that the Father seeks. God does not accept half-hearted worship. Can I say that a little louder so that the entire American church culture can hear that? God does not, never has, never will, except half-hearted worship. But it is a continual following of the worth of Christ. Is He worthy to you? Is He worthy of all blessing and honor and glory and power and praise? That's who Scripture says that He is. Or is He just worthy of your leftovers? Is He just worthy of your extra time? Is He just worthy of your extra money? Is He just worthy of your extra efforts? When you're done with everything else that you have, that's not worship. It's giving leftovers to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Stop calling it worship. It's not worship at all. True faith will continually follow Christ and His worth. Your life will be devoted to Him. Your life will be praise and worship. It won't be a few songs on a Sunday morning. It will be the anthem and the theme of your very heart and your very life. You will be inundated by the worth of Christ. And you will worship Him with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. True saving faith will endure in these things. It will persevere. I don't want any of you to be confused about that doctrine. The doctrine of perseverance is so scary to so many people. Many would say that the doctrine of perseverance that we see is one of the doctrines of grace. That that perseverance then is a work. And if you persevere, then you're truly saved. So you're really being saved by your perseverance. I want to tell you, that's not it at all. What the doctrine of perseverance really is, is this. It is the fact that someone who is truly saved will produce the evidence of perseverance in their life. Better put, perseverance doesn't establish true faith. True faith establishes perseverance. If you have true faith, you will persevere in that faith. And that is why true saving faith, as Jesus was saying here, will endure. He said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. What did he teach? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's start there. What else did he teach? If you love me, you'll obey me. Okay, go on and on and on today, and that is not my intent to look at every teaching of Christ, but we know this. We know that Christ is teaching here. That true faith will endure forever. Number two, we see this as we read the text. True faith brings true freedom. True faith brings true freedom. Freedom. Verse 32 says, then you will know the truth, and the truth will. Please highlight that in your Bible. The truth will set you free. It didn't say it might, or it could, or possibly if everything falls right. It says the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. He said, you're not free. You sin, you're lawbreakers. You commit iniquity. You're a slave to sin. Verse 35, he says, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So, if the son, note that capital S there, the son. Christ if the son sets you free you will be free indeed true faith brings true freedom if your claim to faith does not result in freedom in your life it is not true saving faith true saving faith will free you from the curse and bondage of sin and it will allow you to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and to serve Him and to bring Him honor and praise with your life. True faith brings, write this down, freedom from sin. Freedom from sin. Jesus said that. The truth will set you free. What is the subject that He's addressing? Sin. He says and the truth will set you free. Freedom from the penalty of sin. Are you thankful for that this morning? If you're in Christ, I hope that you are. Because Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. That death that he's mentioning there is the second death that we see in the 20th chapter of the Revelation, verse 14. Where it says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. What that is telling us here today, in a time where we don't like to talk about such things, it's talking about it right here in black and white in Scripture. What it's telling us is this. If your name is not written in the book of life, you don't have true faith. And those who don't have true faith will experience the second death in hell. I can't erase that for you. I can't make that go away. That's God's word and it is true. But, Romans 6.23 goes on to say, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is Jesus Christ who frees us from the penalty of sin. It is a gift, and it is a gift of God's grace. He and He alone can free you from the penalty of sin. He sets you free. Because He is the truth. And the truth will set you free. Again, what an amazing thing to just preach through the Word of God and have the privilege and God's providence of getting up here as we celebrate Independence Day in our country to talk, about, to, talk to you about a true freedom. True freedom that came at a true cost through the Son of Jesus Christ who paid our debt and rescued us from the penalty of sin. Not only did He rescue us from the penalty of sin, He rescues us from the power of sin. The power of sin, the control that sin had on your life. That should be past tense in your life if you have true saving faith. Watch how Paul speaks to the Corinthians about that. The power of sin... He says, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. What does that even mean? It means this, that when we look at the law, when we look at the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, we realize this, that we are violators, that we are sinners, that we are wicked. And when we look at the law, we realize this, that we are all sinners, and we all deserve death. But thanks be to God, it says in verse 57. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. True freedom in Christ not only allows you to be free from the penalty of sin, it allows you to be free from the power of sin. I can look at God's Ten Commandments now, and I don't have to look at them and realize that condemnation is upon me anymore. I look at the Ten Commandments, and though I have blown every single one of them many times, I look at the Ten Commandments and I say this. Thanks be to God in Jesus Christ, who was obedient unto death on a cross outside of Jerusalem, paying the payment that I owed, dying the death that belonged to me, delivering me from the power of sin through His obedient act on the cross. All glory and praise to Him. The truth will set you free from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin. Ultimately, one day, the truth will set you free from the presence of sin. That's why we long for our heavenly home. That's why we realize that our citizenship is not here on this earth. The true believer doesn't want this earth anymore. The true believer understands that, that, that everything that we are stockpiling here is for nothing. Nothing. Because you will take none of it with you. The true believer realizes that one day. Because of the truth. The Lord Jesus Christ. We will receive eternal freedom from the presence of sin. Where there will be no more death. No more pain. No more suffering. No more temptation. No more struggles. No more persecution. We will receive true freedom from the presence of sin. So true faith brings true freedom, freedom from sin. And I would say this to you, have you been set free? Have you been set free from the bondage of sin by true saving faith in Jesus Christ? Or are you still bound by your sin? Is your sin still controlling you? Is that death and agony still upon you? Is sin still mastering you? I warn you what the Lord said. Luke chapter 16. Jesus himself said this in verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. Who's mastering you? Is Christ mastering you? Is he your Lord? Or is sin and Satan continually mastering you? You must answer that question for yourself. And it is only your life that will show the true evidence. Look at your own life today. True faith brings true Freedom. Freedom from sin, but also a freedom through the Son. True faith values freedom because that freedom came through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. True faith understands that on the cross, on that cross, Jesus purchased our freedom, and He purchased our freedom by His blood. His blood sacrifice that He offered for the sinner. I want to remind you of this as we again celebrate our independence as a nation. Never, never has there ever been any kind of freedom in any nation or any country or any province. Never has there been any kind of freedom without a sacrificial price being paid. Tomorrow when you wave the red, white, and blue You're going to remember, I pray, the price that was paid. You veterans who are here today, I say thank you for your service. To some I can't say thank you because they paid the ultimate price. But there was a sacrifice made of men and women for our freedom as a country. But even greater than that, it was a sacrifice made on a cross 2,000 years ago by our Savior and our God. And He sacrificed Himself as the Son to set you free. And there is freedom through His sacrifice. Romans 8 chapter 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man To be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man. What is he saying? You couldn't obey the law. And all you had to do was look forward to death. But Jesus could. And Jesus did. And he obeyed the law. Not only did he obey the law, he then, after obeying the law perfectly, presented himself as a perfect substitutionary sacrifice in the behalf of all who would believe and trust in him. It is Christ who brings us freedom through His sacrifice. Have you been set free indeed? Freedom through His sacrifice. But then He brings us freedom not only through His sacrifice, but He gives us freedom to serve God. Oh, please know this. You cannot serve God apart from Jesus Christ. In fact, you cannot access God the Father apart from the Son. It is the Son who has set you free, and it is the Son who allows you to fellowship and to serve the Father. Romans chapter 6. The apostle Paul says this in verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves. You are slaves to the one whom you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin which leads to death. Or to obedience which leads to righteousness. Watch this. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin. Guilty. Thanks be to God. That though I used to be slave to sin you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted he's talking about true faith true faith is wholehearted trust in the gospel of jesus christ it is wholehearted trust in what he did for us at the cross and he says in verse 18 you have been set free what is all this freedom talk it's the same freedom talk that jesus is using in john chapter 8 is the fact that he has set us free by his sacrifice watch what he says as we continue You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now you can do righteous things. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and ever increasing wickedness. So now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Nothing. We reaped no benefit. We would have eventually reaped hell. Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. True faith brings true freedom. Freedom from sin, but freedom through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Freedom through His sacrifice that allows us freedom to serve God in righteousness. It allows us to be obedient. That's why I tell people when they are baptized, this is your first act of obedience to what the Lord has commanded. Why is it your first act? Because you've never done anything in obedience to God apart from Jesus Christ. There was no righteousness in you. Freedom through the Son, freedom through His sacrifice, freedom to serve God and bring Him glory, but also freedom as a Son. That's a little s. Son, as we see in Scripture. Freedom as a son. I don't know about you, but I am thankful that I have been included in God's sonship through Jesus Christ, who was the firstborn among many brethren. Galatians chapter 3 speaks of this. Verse 26 says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. My sonship has been established in Christ. Galatians chapter 4 of verse 4 says this, But when the time had fully come... God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Full rights. I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to miss the truth of that. Full rights. You don't have to come to God as a person of true saving faith, as if you're some child who lives down the street. Scripture says you can boldly come before his throne of grace in your time of need. He says, You have full rights of sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. That's an intimate term. That's the English equivalent to our daddy, if you did not already know that. We can go before our heavenly father now because Christ has set us free and we can address him as daddy, Abba. So you are no longer a slave. No longer am I a slave to sin, to my selfishness, to my desires, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. He's made us also an heir. A joint heir with Christ. We will share in the glory of Christ and the righteousness of Christ for all eternity. Oh, to the true believer, something inside of you at that moment, and it is... The spirit of the son who lives in you. At that moment something rises up and says yes. Thank you Lord. I deserve nothing. But I'm your child. I have full rights as a child. Because you know this. Because you have been set free by the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Freedom as a son. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 and 5. No need to turn there. You know what it says. It says that God predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. God in eternity past chose you to be His son. What a privilege that is. Many people have said this throughout the ages. When Jesus was on the cross, I was on His mind. I want to take that a little further. In eternity past, I was on the mind of God. And he saw me as his son and he did everything that he had to do, including going to the cross and dying in my behalf so that I could experience the full rights of a son for all eternity. That will overwhelm you if you're a believer here today. True faith brings true freedom. Has faith in Christ alone set you free? Ma'am? Has it? Sir, has it? As it has true faith in Christ to set you free today, are you just content with just playing game after game after game? Knowing you've never been set free from sin. True faith brings true freedom. Just as true faith will endure forever. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What was Jesus saying there? He's saying, I guarantee you, If I set you free, you will be free. You will be free from sin. And you will be free to be a son of God. Because I did it. True faith brings true freedom. Without true faith in Christ, I assure you of this. There is no freedom from the bondage and the prison of sin. If you're not free today, cry out to Jesus. He's the only one who can set you free. Thirdly, as I wrap this up, True faith produces godly fruits. I don't want you to miss that. The next evidence of true saving faith is this, that true faith produces godly fruit. Verse 37, as we continue on in our text, it says, I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. It says, I know you're Abraham's descendants, but the fruit that's coming out of your life shows that you're not really children of God. He says, I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your Father. Again, referencing Satan, we will see that in the lessons to come. Verse 39, Abraham is our father, they answered. And Jesus replies, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. How how do we know this? Because we know that Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. He says you're behaving like your own father. The fruit that's coming out of your life is not the fruit of the seed of Abraham. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God Himself. Oh, unfortunately, their claim was not true, and Jesus had just let them know that. True faith produces godly fruit. If you have true faith, the fruit you produce will be consistent with your confession. You won't say one thing and live another thing. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, the Lord Jesus warns His followers. He says this in verse 15, Watch out for the false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Don't stop reading. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father Who is in heaven. Is your life. Consistent with your confession. Well I confessed Jesus when I was five. Because my grandma really 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 wanted me to. And she made me pray the sinner's prayer. But is your life. Displaying the fruit. Of a true Christian. Is your life displaying the fruit of a true Christian? Because the fruit you produce will be consistent with your confession. It won't just be words. The Pharisees confessed to be Abraham's children. But their fruit was not consistent with their claims. Why? Because they weren't really Abraham's children. They were of Abraham's lineage. They were not children of God at all what you confess and what you live will line up it will match first john john says this in chapter 2 verse 4 the man who says i know him but does not do what he commands is a liar he's a liar The man who says, I know Jesus, but does not do what he commands, is a liar and the truth is not in him. You say, Kirk, are you really going to say something so harsh? I didn't say it. John the Apostle said it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that you could hear it. And he's telling us this. If you say that you know him, but your life says otherwise, you are lying to yourself and you are lying to everyone else. There's no truth to your claim at all. Your confession is not consistent with who you really are. True believers will produce righteous fruit from the indwelling Holy Spirit. Those who are not true believers will produce fruit opposite of that. Galatians chapter 5, Paul does a wonderful job of describing this for us. Verse 19, I know that everyone is... Quick to jump to verse 22 and sing a children's song all the way to 24. But don't miss out on the lesson here. Watch what he says in verse 19. So if you are truly examining yourself today as you ought to be. Examine yourself in light of this. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality. So you can understand it. That includes pornography, man. You know how we know that there is an epidemic in our society? It includes that as well. And in fact, we get our root word, where we have the word pornography, we get it from fornication, pornonia in the Greek. Well, oh, it includes that as well. So examine your life today. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry. Idolatry. Yeah, you know how you're worshiping your career and you're worshiping your money and you're worshiping your toys and your recreation and your entertainment and all the treasures that you are storing up here on earth that will decay. I assure you of that. And how do I know that? Because Jesus said they would. That's why he said store up for yourself treasures not on earth but in heaven where they won't decay. He says idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. Hatred, yeah, that person who you haven't forgiven for something that they did to you years ago that you're still holding a grudge about, discord, jealousy, or when someone else succeeds and you don't, you're quick to complain, to gripe instead of rejoicing with them, fits of rage, selfish ambition, you know life is all about you and how you can make it to the top. Dissensions, factions, and envy. Drunkenness, drunkenness, oh, would we dare throw that in in 2022 when there is no conviction about that at all? Yes, we would still throw that in. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You pay attention to that term, live like this. I want you to see it, and I want you to know what it means. If your life is consumed by these things, that your habitual lifestyle is one or many of these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why do I say that to you? To scare you? No, it is to warn you, because I care about your soul. I don't need your money. Oh, you can go to plenty of churches where they're never going to tell you anything because all they want is your money. I want to see your soul redeemed by the grace of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ so that your life will be changed. He said, here's the fruit of the sinful nature. If that's what your life is producing, you are still an unredeemed sinner. Now we can get to the next part. He says, but... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control against such things. There is no law. These things are righteous and they are good. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and its desires. And in crucifying the sinful nature, what is he talking about? He's talking about all those things in verse 19 all the way to verse 21. Those who have true faith will be constantly crucifying their sinful desires to do those things that they have been redeemed from so that they can experience and walk in the fruit of the Spirit as the indwelling Holy Spirit sanctifies you and you mortify your flesh. And before you know it, you're walking in patience and goodness and kindness and love and joy and peace and self-control. But you have to look at your life. Is your Christianity just something you say? There's no Christianity at all. In fact, Jonathan Edwards says this. He says, all true and saving repentance tends to holy practice. You know what he was saying? People who really have true faith, their life is going to show it through the holiness that they practice. I'm going to say it like this. The weakness of modern Christianity is profession without Production of good fruit. That is the weakness of modern Christianity. It's profession without production of good fruit. We profess Christ with our lips. But we deny that we even know Him. By the wicked fruit that comes out of our lives. When our fruit is really laid bare. Next to the fruit of... Of this godless unbelieving world. Is there a difference? Or when you lay your fruit. That your life is producing down on the table. Next to your lost coworker, Do your lives look exactly the same? Are you doing the same things? Using the same language? Going to the same places? If you lay your fruit. Next to a professing unbeliever. And your fruit looks the same he is not the one who's deceived you my friend are the one who is deceived because you don't have true faith at all because true faith produces godly fruit that's exactly what jesus was telling him you say that you're abraham's children you say that you're children of god but you desire to kill me your fruit is inconsistent with your confession what about you what about you Is your fruit consistent with your confession? True faith produces godly fruit. It will be consistent with your confession. And it will be consistent with your classification. Your classification. What is your classification? Well, many of you classify yourselves as a Christian. But only your fruit is going to tell you the truth about that. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. He makes this blatantly clear again. Jesus as he teaches, verse 33, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. Luke chapter 6, verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks... Verse 46, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? What a sad statement. You classify yourself as a Christian and the Lord says to you, why do you call yourself by my name and don't do what I say? I know in our society what happens at this point is we say, that preacher is being legalistic because any preaching of sanctification Through the power of the Holy Spirit in our society has been dubbed legalism. This is not legalism. I'm not telling you that you are going to be saved by being obedient to the things of God. I am saying this. If you truly are saved, you will be moved into obedience to the things of God. There is a huge difference. You're justified by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. You will never hear me preach anything other than that. But if you truly are justified by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, I assure you of this. That true faith will produce godly fruit. Your classification, who you say you are, will be consistent with what you look like. People going around saying, I'm a Christian. And looking like the world. What they're saying is, I'm a good tree. And every time it sprouts, you sprout bad fruit. There's a problem there. There's no consistency with the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. The problem is this, you don't have true saving faith. Because a true believer is a good tree. Why? Because God has made them a good tree by His grace. His indwelling Holy Spirit has sealed them until the day of redemption. A good tree equals good fruit. He makes that so simple that a little child can understand that. Surely you adults can understand that here today. Good tree equals good fruit. Someone who has true faith in Christ has surrendered to Him as Lord and then knows that He is truly their Savior will produce godly or righteous fruit but a false believer who is an unbeliever is a bad tree they're a bad tree because of sin and worldliness and the fact that they are mastered by the sin and the worldliness and the control of satan and that bad tree will bear bad fruit bad tree equals bad fruit jesus wasn't trying to hide anything from anyone here he was letting them know just because you say something with your mouth means nothing. Just because some preacher told you incorrectly, just write it down in the back of your Bible. And then when you when you don't think that you're saved at some point in time, go back and read it. You just remember. That's that day that that happened. There's no fruit in your life. Reading your name in the back of the Bible in a date is not fruit. That's a name and a date. A name and a date does not save you. Christ saves you. And if Christ saves you, you will produce godly fruit. How do I know this? It's just exactly what Jesus just got through saying. But that offends me. My grandma told me, your grandma's wrong. Because when Jesus speaks, he's right. Not some of the time, but all of the time. Good tree bears good fruit. Bad tree bears bad fruit. I don't care what your grandma says. Jesus always trumps grandma. Well, I'm not sure that I'm saved. Many in error say things like this. Well, was there a time that you ever prayed the sinner's prayer? Yeah, 82 times. Sinner's prayer doesn't save wicked souls. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ saves wicked souls. And if they are truly saved by God-born faith, it will produce God-honoring fruit. Why? Because Jesus said it so. And doesn't this call all of us to some self-examination? Self-examination. Self-examination always calls for questioning and analysis, right? You can picture the courtroom here. We've all seen it. Whether it's a courtroom drama. Whether you used to watch Ben Matlock or you're a little older and you watched Perry Mason or maybe you saw the OJ trial. I don't know, but you've seen what a courtroom looks like. If you have more information than that, just keep it to yourself. I don't want to know. But you have seen there's examination, there's cross-examination. What we do, we take all the evidence and we take it all and we bring it in and each side gets to present their case and we come to the truth. What does the evidence say about you? What does the evidence say about you when you do as 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says, examine yourselves to see whether you are of the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. What is the test? Jesus is giving us the test here today. He is showing us that if we are truly in Him, if there is true faith, there will be Endurance in that faith. There will be perseverance. True faith will endure forever. True faith will bring true freedom. Freedom from sin and freedom to be a son of God in Christ. The son of the living God. And true faith will produce godly fruit. Examine yourselves. See if you pass the test. Ask yourself what is my life producing? Is it producing worldly fruit? sinful fruit am i producing galatians 5:19 through 21 fruits of the sinful nature or because of christ am i producing galatians chapter 5:22 through 24 fruit love joy peace patience goodness kindness gentleness self control Based on your fruit. What is your real classification? I would ask that none of you call yourselves a Christian. Until you're firmly convinced that that's factual information. You're doing an injustice to Christ and to his church. But search yourself today. Examine yourself. Am I really a Christian? Is there evidence in my life that I really do have... True saving faith, or am I not truly saved? Based on my analysis of my fruit, I'm lost. Why would God have us deliver this message today? So that you can realize that you're lost, so that you can realize that you're a sinner. So that you can realize that you need a Savior and that today you can cry out to Jesus to save you because I assure you of this, there is no other name under heaven given whereby men must be saved. He is the only Savior. Cry out to Him today. The Bible is very clear that for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, that is a desperate call, a wholehearted call, a call of true faith. That is a God-born faith where God has drawn you unto Himself and your response is to say, I am a sinner and I am in need of repentance and I am in need of Christ and cry out to Him today. And I assure you of this, He will save your wretched soul. But don't leave here today after examining yourself. And realizing that you claim to be a good tree. But the evidence is not there. If you're a bad tree. As I once was. Fall on your face today and say God uproot my wickedness. Root me in you. Root me in your blood sacrifice. Wash me and cleanse me of all of my sin. And produce good works in me. That will bring you glory and honor and praise. Turn to Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior. Surrender to Him. And stop playing games. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it is true. But that it is a double-edged sword. that pierces to the very heart and the marrow. God, I pray that Your Word would pierce the hardest hearts today. That you would reveal to them their need for you. That they would cry out to you as Savior and Lord, running from their life of sin and wickedness, running to you. Running to you at your cross where you died in their place to wash them and cleanse them this very day and to grant to them the eternal life that only you can. God, as we examine ourselves today, let us know the truth. May that truth set us free. We'll give you all the glory for it. For the believer, I pray this: as they examine their life and they receive assurance from your Holy Spirit that you truly have saved them and they are truly your children. God, I pray that they would be in awe of your grace and your mercy, in all of your cross, your death, your burial and resurrection, and that in our moments together, they would just worship you for who you are, the one who gave himself when he didn't have to, to rescue wicked people like us. Thank you Jesus. We love you, when we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Key Life Fellowship Pulpit Ministry Podcast. If you would like to talk with one of our pastors, please email us at info at keylifefellowship.org or call us at 281-689-1604. You can also visit our website at www.keylifefellowship.com We hope and pray you have a blessed week. And remember, you are light in the darkness.